The next hour will inform you on how cybersecurity is one of the most significant threats to our national security, as well as the battle that cybersecurity experts are undergoing every day on your behalf to protect you, your families, and your data. Welcome to Task Force 7 Radio with your host, the president and CEO of Task Force 7 Radio and Task Force 7 Technologies, George Reedus. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 28 of Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. I'm your host, George Reedus. I want to emphasize that all the opinions expressed on the show are my own and not that of my present or past employers. I will never disclose any sense of intelligence that I have been privileged to as a result of my current employment, and I will never knowingly disclose any classified information related to any security clearances I presently hold or have held in the past with the United States government. And I, nothing I say on this show should be construed as legal or financial advice. So you're listening to the show, you like cybersecurity news, and maybe you just want to catch up with some recaps of all the TF7 radio shows to see which ones you want to listen to first. To do this, just go online to the Cybersecurity Hub at www.cshub.com, and you'll not only find weekly recaps of our show, but you will find other current and up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news to keep you informed on what's going on out there. So the Cybersecurity Hub is an online news source for global cybersecurity professionals and business leaders who leverage technology and services to secure their networks. The media professionals at the Cybersecurity Hub are dedicated to providing the latest interesting news, thought leadership, and analysis in the cybersecurity space. So again, to check out a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news, go to the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. That's the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. So last week's episode featuring the Vice President of Security Technology at Synopsys, Gary McGraw, is being tossed around as one of the most interesting Task Force 7 radio episodes yet, and the numbers are matching the hype that's going on right now on social media. So big numbers coming in for last week's episode. We're knocking on the door of 50,000 listeners. I mean, that's right, folks, 50,000 listeners in just a very short period of time with a show that wasn't even really even announced until two days before the first episode, the first pilot episode even came out. So from completely unknown to 50,000 listeners, I really, I got to tell you, I really couldn't be happier. And there are a lot of cybersecurity podcasts out there right now, uh, podcasts out there right now that are just, they've been on the air for years and years and years. And, 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 and to get the monthly numbers that we have right now that we're pulling in, I just, you know, I just want to take a moment to thank every, everyone that's listening to the show and just thank each and every one of you. Uh, I really appreciate you making Task Force 7 Radio the voice of cybersecurity. I really do appreciate it. So thanks for listening. And uh, look, Gary McGraw, uh, I can't say enough about this guy. He's the one who drove us uh, up to this 50,000 listener mark. Gary was uh, great last week. He talked about BSIM and CISO tribes and all the work he's done around software security over the last decade. And listeners really, really loved it. I got a lot of great comments, a lot of great texts. So Gary's a good speaker. Um, he's an easy guy to listen to. He's very entertaining. And after all, he does have his own podcast. It's a great cybersecurity podcast. It's called The Silver Bullet. And if you get a chance to check it out, that's The Silver Bullet Podcast with Dr. Gary McGraw. So we hope to have him back again uh, on the show very often. And what's great about last week's show, uh, even the tier one folks in the industry were texting me about it. And, and they were mentioning the episode on social media. So Gary can draw a crowd. He can draw a very senior crowd as well. And, and if you didn't get a chance to hear last week's show, you can always go uh, to one of the Task Force 7 Radio's nine playback mediums. Find Task Force 7. Look for the episode. It's episode number 27 named Getting Security Right at the Design Phase. And Dr. Gary McGraw appears on the second and third segments of the show. 
So you can find all ta- prior Task Force 7 radio episodes for playback on iTunes.com, Google Play, TuneIn.com, Stitcher.com, Player.fm, Overcast.fm, ListenNotes.com, the show's very own website at TaskForce7Radio.com, and of course, the number one internet talk radio producer in the world at VoiceAmerica.com. So we're everywhere. You can't miss us. Just Google Task Force 7 Radio, bam! You get like three pages of information about Task Force 7 Radio. It's really that easy. Check us out, folks. TF7 Radio, playback at your convenience, 24-7-365, anytime, anywhere around the globe. And for those of you out there who are social media junkies, you can also learn about TF7 Radio at your favorite social media platform. Follow us on LinkedIn by searching at Task Force 7 Radio and on Facebook, Twitter, and even Instagram by searching at TF7 Radio. So the RSA conference is this week and the industry is just in a frenzy. You know, people are super excited as usual. I mean, right now, you probably hear the buzz. My iPhone uh, just keeps going off. Uh, People texting me constantly from uh, out in San Francisco. So it's a special week in cybersecurity as tens of thousands of cybersecurity professionals from around the world converge on San Francisco to meet face-to-face to exchange information. They want to exchange ideas with each other. Uh, they conduct business, and they solve a lot of cybersecurity problems. So big week in cybersecurity in the United States. And if you're not out in San Francisco at the conference, it's going to be really hard to reach a lot of the cybersecurity people out there this week because they're going to be hustling, baby. They're going to be hustling. They're going to be trying to build those relationships. They're going to try to get those you know, back-to-back in-person meetings done every single day right up until the last day of the week you know, before the week is up. So trust me, it goes very fast. I'm sure... Everyone out there is going to be really exhausted by the end of the week. So, but if you're out at the conference and you're a TF7 radio listener, don't forget to tell your friends and colleagues to check out the show, subscribe to the show, and I really appreciate your support. We hope to be broadcasting live from the RSA conference this time next year, possibly. It's something that we're looking into. So wouldn't that be just awesome? So global data security laws front and center in the news this week with the Facebook scandal and Mark Zuckerberg's testimony in front of Congress. So we're going to have a, none other then cybersecurity legal expert and CNN commentator Adriana Sanford back on the show tonight to talk about the data privacy laws in the United States as they pertain to not only Facebook, but all the major technology companies who profit off of their users' and customers' data. So stay tuned. It's going to be a great show. Everyone's going to be talking about this issue. It's, uh, it's really hot right now. So if you're a regular listener to the show, you know who Adriana is. You know She's appeared on the show twice before. In the last episode she did with TF7 Radio, was episode number 24, named Is Blockchain Technology Gonna Change the World? And that's quickly becoming one of the most listened to episodes in TF7 Radio history. So when I, when I analyzed the numbers, more listeners tuned into that episode in a four-week period than any other TF7 Radio episode yet. So if you missed it, check it out, folks. Episode number 24. It's great stuff. Adriana Sanford. So in case uh, this is your your first time uh, hearing Adriana, a little bit about Adriana Sanford. Adriana is a Chilean-American author. She's an international TV commentator, Georgetown-educated international lawyer, an internationally recognized privacy and cybersecurity legal scholar, and she is on the board of Amnesty International USA. So you probably get why she's, she's coming on to talk about Facebook and the data privacy issues and how, how it's looked upon globally because she's a perfect subject matter expert to opine on these issues. So Sanford is regularly featured as subject matter expert on CNN Dinero. That's the CNN's 24-hour Spanish language television station broadcasting to more than 24 million viewers in the United States and throughout Latin America. She just made another appearance on CNN the other night. 
she's on all the time because I, I, you know, I, I, I get uh, alerts when she's on the show. And now, uh, especially since cybersecurity and data privacy laws are in the news quite often these days, she's making regular appearances to provi- provide her subject matter expertise. So Sanford was recently selected to speak at the 2018 ISC Squared Security Conference being hosted in New Orleans this year. And Sanford recently co-authored a 2018 security book, Women in Security, Changing the Face of Technology and Innovation. So Sanford is a very, very well-known and very well-liked professor at LMU and Pepperdine Universities. And I know she has a big following from Arizona State University as well, where she used to be a professor. So this is a quick May, a couple from May. All right, so uh, a little bit of fun here. So the so last time she appeared on the show, I was talking about ASU, I was talking about LMU, and I was talking about Pepperdine and how these are great schools and they have wonderful university staffs. I know a lot of people there. And these, you know, the, the people that work there really care about their students. And I mentioned how I'd been to Pepperdine when I was 17 years old and how beautiful the campus was. And I once dreamed of what it would be like to go to such a beautiful and prestigious school which sits, if, you, if you've ever been there, you know, it sits on one of the most gorgeous coasts in the world. It just, it just got these huge greens, and, you know, it's got a beautiful field, and then overlooks, you know, it's got views of the Pacific Ocean. And it would be just like a dream to go there. Um, well, it seems I didn't realize what a rivalry these tool schools had, in not only in academics, but just basically in everything. <laughs> so they have a little bit of a crosstown rivalry going on, I guess you could say, with Pepperdine being in Malibu Beach and LMU in West Los Angeles over there, just south of Venice Beach. So apparently I stoked a few students at LMU when I mentioned how prestigious and beautiful Pepperdine University was and how you could see the Pacific Ocean from the university and how it's such a relaxing place to study and to focus and things like that. So I have since been reminded by the TF7 listeners at LMU that LMU is regularly voted in the top 10 most beautiful campuses in the United States and that LMU also offers sweeping views of the beautiful Pacific Ocean as well. So I, your, your humble radio show host, would have known that if I had taken the time to visit the campus, I was told. So from now on, consider me hereby informed. I mean, I didn't know there was any rankings like this. I didn't even know these types of things that even existed. I consider myself lucky just to go to college anywhere, to be honest with you, at the time when I was younger. So, I mean, I went to FSU. It was a gorgeous school. I mean, beautiful. I ended up in a beautiful place. So, uh, very happy uh, there. I loved it. Many great friends and many great memories. But I had no idea there were actually rankings on how beautiful college campuses are. So, I really hope to visit LMU one day, check it out, meet everyone there. But in the meantime, big shout out to the students at ASU, LMU, and Pepperdine again. I really appreciate you guys. Thank you for tuning in and becoming regular TF7 radio listeners. Be sure to tell your friends about it. Stay tuned. Your professor, Adriana Sanford, is on deck to talk about technology companies and data privacy laws, or maybe even lack thereof, in this case, possibly, that govern how these companies use your information. By the way, you know, I know Adriana Sanford, she just got selected to be the premier speaker at a speaking event at LMU's faculty publication night on September 11, 2018, later this year. So if you're listening from LMU, you should check it out. You know where to go. Just visit librarynews.lmu.edu. That's librarynews.lmu.edu, and you can find information about the event right there. So I'm going to jump right into the data privacy conversation by first talking a little bit about the Facebook drama last week. I mean, anyone who watched the congressional hearings on Facebook must have noticed some of the 
stupid questions that Mark Zuckerberg had to field from some Congress members. I mean, I, I, I just, I just mean, some of these these questions were just ridiculous, just by their very nature. They had, to, you got to ask yourself, what's the purpose of having him testify if you don't even know what he does? I mean, if you don't even understand the nature of Facebook's business and how their business model works, then the conversation with Mr. Zuckerberg is not going to be very productive. It's just like the, 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 the hearings that we had on the, the Equifax breach. I, I, again, I was astounded, just astounded, flabbergasted on how the, unprepared some of these uh, congressmen and congresswomen were. And let me tell you, folks, if some of these members of Congress worked for, in the private sector and they performed like that, in such a widely broadcasted public forum, and in such an important forum, where the results could lead to actions that have sweeping consequences that affect millions of Americans, and they showed up unrehearsed or misinformed or sometimes seemingly just spontaneous in their, in their comments, they would be fired. Fired. Done. Believe me, folks, unceremoniously shown the door. This is supposed to be the varsity team, right? You're supposed to come in. You're supposed to ask questions. You're not supposed to ask questions that provoke laughter. And I, and I don't mean the kind of laughter that, you know, you were making a joke or you're, you're exerting some type of humor. I mean people laughing at you because of the nature of the question you asked illustrates how little you really know about the Internet in general. Now, I know that not everyone is an expert in cybersecurity. I get it. And I don't expect everyone to be. And sometimes in the technology field, we come across as dismissive. Quite honestly, let's face it, sometimes you come across like a a bunch of pompous asses. I get it. But I I certainly do not want to come across that way on this show ever. And in fact, I routinely admonish colleagues who talk down to people when I see it in in the technology space, especially vendors. I hate when people talk to vendors like, you know, like, like, like very poorly. So that really bothers me a lot. You know, I mean, whether I don't care if it's because of the confidence that you exude and your technical prowess or the position you hold or whatever. I mean, let's just treat everybody with respect. But sometimes you get it. The people that are in the business, it's part of the culture. I don't like it. You know, a lot of people don't like it. I don't like it. You don't like it. But, you know, we just don't want to come across as conceited or an all-knowing, omniscient being type of person, right? So no one likes it. But this isn't one of those situations, right? So I'm, I'm being critical. I'm being critical, but I think it's, it's, it's deserving criticism, right? Let, let's talk about one of the most ridiculous questions that were asked of Mr. Zuckerberg during the hearings. Congressman to Mr. Zuckerberg, quote, you said back then that Facebook would always be free. Is that still your objective? Mr. Zuckerberg answered, Congressman, yes. Congressman, well, if so, how do you sustain a business model in which users don't pay for your service? What? I mean, if there was a cue, if there was a red button while you're watching anything, they said cue, the cybersecurity community burst out laughing. <laughs> this, I mean, it, this, is, this is where it would come on right now, and it would just be flashing, like laugh, laugh. I mean, the question was asked with a forcefulness and tone, like it was going to be difficult to answer, and like he was like grilling him or something. I mean, to Zuckerberg's credit, he only partly chuckled when he responded, Senator, we run ads. We run ads. That's what we do. I mean, if you don't know that by now, I mean, what, how are you supposed to get anything out of these hearings? So now, look, everyone in the cybersecurity space had to be asking themselves there, like, oh, are you kidding me with this? But the truth of the matter is there are a lot of people out there in the public who truly don't understand how social media companies actually make money. And let's be fair. Why would they? I mean, why would the average person look into how 
you know, Facebook makes money. They just want to use Facebook for, you know, to talk to their friends and add content and, and all that kind of stuff, right? So there's no excuse for the congressman or his team, though, I will say. I will say this. I mean, they, they, just because you're a member of Congress doesn't mean you're expected to know everything, right? You're not to know, know everything about everything, but your staff certainly should have properly prepared you for these important hearings and very public and important hearings. And feeling that they did, I mean, I would imagine that they all should be fired, I mean, there's no excuse for it. I mean, for sending you out there like that and embarrassing you on one of the biggest public stages in the world, absolutely no excuse for it, man. No, absolutely none. I mean, how are you supposed to understand the data privacy issues that surround Facebook's business model if you don't have a clue how the company produces revenue? I mean, clearly the time to learn the most basic tenets of the firm's business model was not during the congressional hearings. I, I think everyone would agree with that. So during the hearings, Facebook was accused of a lot of things. Among them were the following. They were accused of facilitating the illegal distribution of opiates. They were accused of censoring conservative voices on their platform. They were accused of collecting data from people who were not even part of their platform. And they were also accused of allowing third parties to access user data beyond the permissions given by the user, hence the Cambridge Analytical event, which in part is the cybersecurity discussion that we're going to be having today. So believe me. I could do whole episodes on some of the issues brought up by members of Congress during these hearings. I mean, Ted Cruz really exposed the bias going on at Facebook for, against conservatives. And that, that at times, Zuckerberg sort of conceded was actually happening at the company, but you know, without condoning it, of course, without condoning it in public. But as tempting as it is to get into some of these other topics like censorship and the distribution of controlled dangerous substances, which is a huge problem in our, our society right now, we're going to stick to the cybersecurity issues at hand. And that's the confidentiality, integrity, and availability of user data, focusing very much on the confidentiality of that data, uh, especially in this incident and the, um, the Cambridge uh, Analytica event. So at the heart of the problem is this. In an article in CNET.com, a uh, great article this week, laid it out pretty well. One of Facebook's biggest concerns is that the Federal Trade Commission investigation into whether Facebook violated a 2011 settlement with the government promising to enact reforms to address concerns over how it tracked and shared data about its users. If the company is found to have violated the agreement, it could face penalties of up to $40,000 per user per day. That's incredible. Right? which in theory could add up to billions of dollars, if not really trillions of dollars in this, in this situation. So Zuckerberg came to D.C. last week and attempted to do damage control following revelations that last month an app developer named Alexander Kogan had sold data for as many as 87 million Facebook users to the U.K.-based political consulting and data mining firm Cambridge Analytica, which had ties to the Trump presidential campaign. So in question is whether Facebook should be on the hook for allowing an app developer to share personal data of millions of Facebook users without their consent, which many experts argue is a violation of its 2011 agreement with the United States government. Now, the FTC has already opened an investigation into Facebook to determine if the company has been following the terms laid out in that 20-year agreement. In the 2011 complaint, the FTC accused Facebook of breaking its promises to keep its users' data private. Facebook had assured users that third-party applications only had access to data required for them to function. But in fact, applications had access to almost all of a user's personal information. So under the settlement, Facebook agreed to get consent from users before sharing their data with third parties. It has also required Facebook to establish a comprehensive privacy program and to have third-party conduct, third parties conduct audits 
every two years for the next 20 years to certify its program is effective. So the FTC is currently investigating all of this right now, but many experts, including former FTC officials, say it looks like it has violated the agreement. So David Vladek, the the former director of the FTC's Bureau of Consumer Protection, who worked on the FTC's enforcement case against Facebook, recently wrote in a Harvard Law Review blog, Facebook's apparent violations of the decree are troubling. He suggested that even aside from the consent decree, the way Facebook allowed Kogan to harvest user data plainly violated the Federal Trade Commission Act's prohibition against deceptive acts or practices. I'm sure no one wanted to to hear that. So, and, and then there's the questions of the third-party audits that Facebook was supposed to be doing in order to verify it was protecting user data. So Zuckerberg explained during the hearing that when Facebook discovered Kogan had sold the data to Cambridge Analytica, the company asked the firm to delete the information, but Facebook didn't verify that it had actually done that. So the company also didn't notify users that their data had been shared without their permission. So Vladek said that's a blatant violation of the consent decree. And I, I believe just a couple of days ago, Facebook actually, after the congressional hearing, they actually notified users that that, that incident did occur. So Facebook taking action after the, uh, after the hearings and, and being faced with those questions. But it doesn't appear, he continues, that Facebook had even the most basic compliance framework to safeguard access to user data, Vladek saying this in his blog post. It is entirely predictable that if app developers are not held to their promises about data collection and sharing, they may, may not be candid with Facebook about their intentions. Yet it seems that Facebook made no effort to establish the bona, fide, uh, the bona fides of developers, much less verify or audit what user data app developers actually harvested and shared. So if you're wondering if Facebook thinks it's violated the consent decree, I guess the answer would be no. I mean, Zuckerberg told Congress this this week that Facebook didn't willingly share data with Cambridge Analytica without users' consent. Instead, the company argues that Kogan deceived the company by saying the data was collected for academic research and then improperly sold the data to Cambridge Analytica and other firms as well. So in other words, Facebook users gave their consent when they signed on to the app and its system acted as it should, the Facebook system. But it was Kogan who violated the company's terms when he sold the information to Cambridge Analytica. Now, as for all the, the friends of people who used the Facebook app and used data, data Kogan was able to suck up through his app, presumably without their permission, Zuckerberg said Facebook hasn't allowed app developers to get access to friends' data since 2014. So Zuckerberg at one point explicitly said he didn't think that Facebook had violated the consent decree, although there was some criticism there uh, against Zuckerberg about how much he really understood what was actually explained and what was contained in that decree itself during the, during the hearings and, and subsequent analysis of what was said. So the fines Facebook faces here, really, they're potentially astronomical, folks. I mean, they're through the roof, right? They could put any company out of business, but I don't think that would be the intention of the FTC if they did, in fact, levy a fine against Facebook, and nor should it be. But lots to come here, not only with Facebook, but with other large technology firms as well. So stay tuned.
We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back to tackle more of this data security issue with Adriana Sanford. But before we do, I want to remind our audience that we're getting closer. We're getting closer to launching the world's premier cybersecurity professional network, Task Force 7. I'm really excited about this, folks. Tune in over the next several months to find out more information about this much-needed and much-awaited-for network. We're going to solve some big problems together, I promise you. Task Force 7, get in the fight. We're going to pause for a few minutes for some words from our sponsors, and then we'll be right back with cybersecurity legal expert and CNN commentator Adriana Sanford. Don't go away. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Account takeover is the fastest growing form of cyber attack. Criminals exploit compromised accounts for financial gain, often causing irreparable and long-term damage to finances and reputation. Many companies think they're protected. They believe using a password manager, multi-factor authentication, behavior-based technology, password rotations, or solutions that scan the deep and dark web is enough. Yet the account takeover problem only continues to get worse. SpyCloud combines human intelligence and automated technology to prevent account takeover for your customers and employees. We recover stolen credentials early in the account takeover life cycle before the credentials are sold on dark forums. Check your exposure for free at spycloud.com. Do you sometimes wish you had an advisory board to help you reflect on your career performance and become a better professional? Now you have that advisory board. Tune in for The Well-Heeled Professional with host Marta Alfonso. Each week, we speak with successful professionals that share their hands-on, real-world knowledge and reflections on critical elements of a successful career. Listen live every Friday at 12 noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. In your business, are you on top of your PR game? PR is what tells your story. Whether it's the business itself, key people in your business, or showing your best face to the public, listen for the brand ambassadors. Host Merritt Hamilton Allen with co-host Gary Potterfield will discuss effective presentation ideas, building your personal brand, risk management, crisis communication, and more. Focus your business goals and PR resources. Listen live Fridays at 6 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's taskforce7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Redis. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. I'm here with our special guest, cybersecurity legal professor, Adriana Sanford. Adriana, welcome back to the show. Thanks, George. Thanks for having me back. Hey, it's good to have you. So for the last two decades, 
we've provided this is low cost or like free internet communications for a variety of different platforms, specifically in social media. So these platforms, they expand in power and significance over time, right? We have this huge, huge lobbying power in Washington now, Facebook, we got Twitter, we got Google, very powerful companies. But in this area of serial hacks and breaches, especially identity fraud and everything we've seen around Equifax and everything else, we have Facebook with billions of people around the globe as, as users with a lot of questionable practices around data security. So I want to get your opinion. I went over a lot of this on the first segment. I want to get your opinion from an international law perspective. When you think about this globally, what's your reaction to the current situation? Well, it is concerning. It's very concerning because companies like Facebook have the ability, as we are seeing now, to influence democracies. And we saw it in the UK. We're seeing it here in the US. We're also seeing it in other parts of the world where countries and governments and regulators are taking a stand to say, hey, there is a fundamental human right to privacy, and we have concern. You know, the two of the world's three largest populations um, have a fundamental right to privacy. The EU with 508 million individuals and, and India with 1.2, almost 1.3 billion citizens, both of them have this right to privacy. Of course, China does not. That's the, the third uh, largest population. But on top of that, we're seeing government regulators in other parts taking a stand against this uh, Cambridge Analytica, which is was the, the company behind this move. Uh, Colombia, for example, the, the commerce regulator of Colombia um, has taken a position and has banned the use of certain um, phone apps that are linked to this organization, to this agency. Their presidential elections are coming up in May, and uh, they don't want to have any issues or anything affecting their democracy. So we are starting to see this. You know, the, the app, the phone app actually is one of those that you download by Google Play Store, and you have to sign in using your Facebook app, your Facebook account. So these are concerns that are countries are having and uh, rightfully so so let me ask you why why do you think this happened here in the united states to united states citizens i mean would this ha could this happen someplace else well it did happen here and it didn't happen for example in europe it is happening right now or we we are concerned it might be happening in other parts of the world colombia is obviously concerned but why did it happen here why did it happen in the u.s well, because we don't have strong laws with regards to data and the protection of data. We're seeing other parts of the world, such as Chile. Chile right now is modifying their data protection laws, and they've come up. They are creating a data protection authority or a digital protection authority. We don't have one of those here either. One of the comments that was made was, you know, the Facebook said is, this is not a breach. It, no hackers are involved. Well, this is a problem. We don't have regulation for this type of behavior, and there's a lack of private sector self-regulation in this area since we do not have the fundamental right to privacy. So what do you think about, you know, the FTC? I mean, the FTC has, back in 2011, did come to an agreement with Facebook to make sure that Facebook did not share 
users' information with third parties without their permission. Is that enough in your, in your, in your mind, or th there has to be much stricter regulation there around, and rules around this? Well, we need stricter regulations because from what we know, other countries around the world have more stringent regulations and our businesses are, uh, and uh, especially the tech industry is having to comply with those. The EU about in 2015 invalidated a safe harbor agreement, which would allow EU information to be transferred, uh, data protection, data identity uh, personal identifiable information because they didn't feel comfortable. They didn't feel that any of their EU citizens' data could actually be safeguarded the way it needed to be. So our laws and the way we handle this is not necessarily going to work with what's going on in the rest of the world, especially with a lot of these countries that are right now amending their laws and creating new laws to protect their citizens, uh, their right to privacy, and to protect their data. So we do need something stronger. So having said that, you know, what do you think the rest of the world thinks about this situation? I mean, you know, how does the rest of the world react to what happened here in the United States? Well, I think a lot of these countries are looking at this as a spill and the we, it's hard at this point to even estimate the level of exposure. We know that it has affected uh, our, our political system to a certain degree, the elections, and how is this going to affect us going forward? It depends on how we react to this. Right now, the rest of the world, the way they've been reacting to this type of behavior is, well, when Facebook was found to be violating privacy uh, in, in Germany, in Ireland, in Belgium, they all filed complaints against Facebook. That was in 2015. And the largest class action privacy lawsuit ever brought in Europe was brought in 2014 against Facebook. So the way the rest of the world has been reacting and is reacting to this is they believe that something should be done and they are actually taking steps to protect their own citizens. So Zuckerberg was cited by the FTC, as I mentioned in the first segment, back in 2011. And he made representations at that time. He came into an agreement. There was a consent decree with the FTC that allegedly did not come to fruition. Now, if you ask Zuckerberg if he violated the consent decree, he says no. He says no. You know, he told Congress that he did not violate the consent decree and it was actually an individual that acted on their own that was in violation of his agreement with Facebook that caused this issue. So having said that, either way, should Zuckerberg have known better? I mean, was this foreseeable? And, and, and most important, was this avoidable in this, in this instance? Well, well, if we take a look at the big picture and we take a step back at the same time or even a couple years before that, we take a look at the legal, at the, not only the legal landscape, but the security landscape and what was going on. You have to remember, back in 2013, we had the spy scandal, the Snowden revelations. And basically, as a result of that, we saw that the EU uh, Commission uh, actually took a stand and several complaints were made against tech companies for sharing information. So we already knew that privacy was an issue. We have Max Schrems. Remember Max Schrems, who was the Santa Clara law student that uh, actually heard one of the Facebook, um, 
I think it was one of the Facebook attorneys came to as a guest speaker and, and told them their position on privacy. And Max went back to Europe and actually filed a lawsuit um, against Facebook. And that was on privacy. So we I think, you know, Zuckerberg and Facebook should have seen this coming, and certainly by 2015, that's when, as a result of all of this, all of this came to fruition, the European Court of Justice invalidated the U.S.-EU Safe Harbor Agreement. That was a 15-year-old agreement, and it affected thousands of U.S. companies. And why was that there? It's because privacy was at the forefront of this, and our 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 methods of dealing with this, our tech companies, and what they were doing was not something that the EU felt comfortable with. So at a very minimum, you should, you know, we know that Zuckerberg was aware that this was an issue. He was aware that this was an issue in Europe with EU citizens. And I guess, you know, to a certain degree, he should have foreseen that this would be an issue with our U.S. citizens as well. It is a violation of public trust. It jeopardizes democracy. Um, all these steps that have been taken are, are concerning. And the fact that he couldn't foresee this or didn't foresee it is also a little, a little concerning. So let's roll with that for a second. So let, let's, let's, let's assume that all, all of those things are true and, and that he knew this was going on. What, what, what have been the warning signs that Facebook was not living up to their promises to protect the user's data from being accessed by third parties beyond what the users had specified in their permissions? Like what, what would have been a red flag, for instance? Well, I, the question is, when did he see the warning signs? When were those red flags raised? Maybe initially he was deceived, but at some point from the time he shared that information to the present date, he realized that something was wrong, especially with everyone talking about the elections and talking about fake news and what was happening. At some point, a red flag or a warning sign appeared. And did he notify his board? What did he do during all this time to notify the American public of what was going on? It took him several years to come forward, and that is concerning. So you're looking at the big picture now. And, you know, I, I know we're talking about increased regulation and there's something that has to be done, you know, legally and there has to be more compliance and, and so on and so forth. But you know, the, the, the consent decree with the FTC has some teeth. I mean, a violation of the dissent decree requires or could result in Facebook paying fines of $40,000 per user per day, which goes into an astronomical amount of money. I mean, what do you think the FTC is going to do now? What, what's the big picture? What happens next? How does this address? Well, it'll be interesting to see what happens next. I think, you know, at this point, our companies, our tech industry, our businesses, everybody is on high alert. And they're realizing that this particular scandal has actually opened up a wide array of issues. And we're, we've already started to see the competing and conflicting standards and regulations that have evolved as a result of data and uh, data protection and privacy. We saw that when we saw Microsoft was in contempt of court. We saw that when Apple had their issue with the FBI and the iPhone. This has been evolving, but now we've gotten to the point where we actually have a major scandal that has affected over 87 million users. And at this point, I do think that the uh, FTC will take some steps. 
the concern is how is this going to affect us internationally? How is this going to affect our tech companies? Are we going to move a are we going to move around this? Are we going to handle and tackle this and adopt a framework that actually is more compliant with the rest of the world's uh, standards? Or, you know, what, are we radically going to change the way we view privacy? These are all, you know, concerns and, and questions. We're talking about our regulators and the fact that they may be coming up with these hefty penalties. Well, if you take a look around the world, look at the UK. The UK right now is having some very hefty penalties for companies when, with regards to uh, liability of breaches, and they've evolved into uh, the vicarious liability. They're starting to take a really big stand when an employee jumps and does something, even if he's disgruntled and violates uh, the data of, of, uh, of users. So we're looking at this area, this field evolving in a whole bunch of different ways. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a, you know, that would generate a lot of discussion and we could probably do a whole episode on whether an insider causing an event makes the company responsible for a compliance violation with, you know, in some type of regulatory law. But, you know, here in the United States, and, and I think a lot of people would probably disagree with me on this, all right, but here in the United States, in my opinion, we have a long history of employing overreaching and even damaging regulations when reacting to a crisis. Like something happens and all of a sudden we drop the hammer and it goes way too, you know, it's, we overextend ourselves with this, you know, with the regulatory law and we end up hurting ourselves in the, in the long term until someday, a few years down the road, somebody wakes up and says, hey, look, you know, we're, we're strangling ourselves from a business perspective. I mean, regulation, if it's not done properly, can be a business killer. And if I look at some of these other countries that have these really, really, really strict regulations, some of them aren't really doing that great financially, right? So... And from a business perspective, their economies are, I think, are struggling with how to handle some of this regulation. So first, should, obviously, I don't think we should, you know, there was a question in, in, in you know, should we leave Zuckerberg to fix his own problem? And I think you, you pretty much, you know, I've addressed that already. You said, you know, we need more regulation, but exactly what should the regulation be to make sure we don't overextend ourselves and hurt business in the long run, right? Well, you, you've brought up a very good point. We don't want to overreact. We don't want to bind our companies. We need to make sure that we are balancing and protecting our citizens while at the same time allowing for growth and innovation to continue. And if we take a look at what's happening right now in the United States, in February of this year, we saw a lot of new developments in California. California is really on the forefront of trying to solve this issue. Why? Because a lot of the tech industry is in California. And they are looking at maybe creating some legislation, some state legislation that might be able to help in this area. If that legislation passes, that may then be adopted on a federal level. We have no knowledge, though, for sure that it will be adopted. And unfortunately, you know, even though California is on the forefront, the federal government could preempt it or could call it unconstitutional. But we are seeing this state really take a stand because they are concerned. A lot of the issues that are out there are affecting the state. Uh, the tech industry, most of it, a lot of it is located in California. And so out of all of the U.S., if you take a look at what's going on, the proposals coming out of California to fix these problems, to try and be more in compliance with what is going on in the rest of the world and more in compliance with the EU General Data Protection Regulation, which is scheduled to take effect and affect all of our 
companies in the United States that do business or are somehow linked to the EU, um, California's on the forefront. Let's hope that their model is actually adopted in some format and maybe our federal uh, government will take a look at this and adopt it. All right, so I, I, want, I want to get back to that. I want to get back to the EU. I want to get to GDPR, and I want to talk a little bit about the states, specifically in California, because that's where a lot of our tech companies are. So uh, we've got to take a short break to hear from our sponsors, but don't go away, folks. We'll be right back with more from CNN commentator Adriana Sanford after these short messages. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Do you sometimes wish you had an advisory board to help you reflect on your career performance and become a better professional? Now you have that advisory board. Tune in for The Well-Heeled Professional with host Marta Alfonso. Each week, we speak with successful professionals that share their hands-on, real-world knowledge and reflections on critical elements of a successful career. Listen live every Friday at 12 noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. In your business, are you on top of your PR game? PR is what tells your story. Whether it's the business itself, key people in your business, or showing your best face to the public, listen for the brand ambassadors. Host Merritt Hamilton Allen with co-host Gary Potterfield will discuss effective presentation ideas, building your personal brand, risk management, crisis communication, and more. Focus your business goals and PR resources. Listen live Fridays at 6 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Ritas. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's taskforce7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Ritas. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. I'm back with our special guest, cybersecurity legal professor and CNN commentator, Adriana Sanford. So Adriana, before the break, we were talking about how we're going to get into GDPR and some other things on this, this segment of the show. And I just want to start out with, with a question about GDPR and how it might affect Facebook following May 25th. So what's your reaction to GDPR and Facebook? Well, I think as far as GDPR goes, Facebook has already been taking many steps to be compliant before May because they've had to be, they've been working with Europe, you know, since day one. I think, you know, the biggest changes that we're going to see are with small and medium sized companies that perhaps don't have an office, don't have an affiliate, don't have a sub or a branch in Europe. And all of a sudden they're saying, wow, 
we have to be compliant with these regulations because we monitor EU citizens or because we are marketing um, marketing to them through the internet. So the people and the, the concerns that we have are more with other businesses, with smaller businesses that may not be aware of what GDPR means for the big multinationals and especially for our tech companies like Apple and Google and Microsoft and Facebook and Twitter. They have been working on this for some time. So this May deadline is not going to be any shock to them. And when we look at Facebook, you know, back two, three years ago, Facebook was at the table with the European Commission talking to them and saying, hey, please give us guidelines. Don't give us uh, set rules because, you know, as we know, Facebook has billions of users all over the world and they can't segregate. They, it's very difficult for them to have certain rules and standards for one group of users and, and not for another. They have over, I think it's 2 billion people, 2 billion users. So, so Facebook has been working on this and they've asked for guidelines rather than strict regulations so that they can kind of make sure that all of their rules apply everywhere. So I don't believe there's going to be a lot of changes for Facebook uh, come May. I think those changes have already been in place, which again brings us to the question of why did this happen here with our U.S. citizens when, you know, something like this, Facebook was already aware that this would be an issue if it happened in the EU to the EU citizens. I, you know, we don't have those regulations in place and obviously self-regulation by the private sector is not something we want to rely on because uh, if there, since we don't have a right to privacy, um, we're being left out here and, and uh, our citizens are, are at risk of having their data compromised. So I want to take advantage of having your expertise here on the show and get it in a little bit more of a broader sense around GDPR. So I want to ask you, are, are more governments preparing for GDPR to begin on May 25th? I mean, are they ready for what's going to happen on that date? Yes, what's happening is this, as a result of the Snowden revelations, a lot of countries around the world realize that they're, they're citizens' information and their their own information was being compromised. And so they decided to step up their laws. And as a result of GDPR, this is a great framework, which is being adopted by many other countries around the world. We know Australia, Argentina, um, a lot of countries, we, we are, you know, I think also um, – India will adopt something. We're, we're looking right now at what the countries are doing and how many of them match up to GDPR in some way. Because the more they match up, the easier it is for companies, for our tech industry especially, and multinationals to be able to come up with policies and procedures and, uh, and comply with the different and varying regulations. So to the extent they match up, it will be easier for them. Uh, the Cayman government has published a draft, uh, draft regulations in preparation for the implementation of their data protection law. We know that in Chile right now, they've passed uh, an approval right now. They're approving new regulations, new data regulations, data protection regulations down there. Uh, in everywhere, all over, you know, in uh, Sylvania, we know that the government has adopted new uh, a new proposal for GDPR um, in India. We know that they now have the basic fundamental right to privacy and that they are going to be revising their laws as well. So this is something that's going on all over the world. And it will be interesting to see what happens because after May 
2018, the data protection regulation, general data protection regulation will apply here in the United States to medium and small companies as well as the multinationals that are in some way connected to EU citizens. So I'm curious, what, what, what's your opinion about what's going on in the UK? How is the UK making adjustments to prepare for GDPR? Well, the, the UK is interesting. We just recently had the High Court of England and Wales held a company liable for a massive data breach that was carried out by an employee. And their law continues to evolve in this area, in this field. In this particular case, it was an employee that had a grudge. And actually, the company itself was blameless. But the court held, the high court held, that the employer is must bear the consequences of torts committed by workers in their employment. So we're looking at data protection regulation, the general data protection regulation, and we're also looking at how courts, and here in particularly in England, in the UK, are dealing with issues that are coming, that are stemming from this data protection um, and the protection of the data protection of the citizens. Here, the, the court in this particular case is looking at potentially crippling liability fines on companies if they do not protect the data of their subjects. So I'm hearing a lot about adequacy determinations. So can you just give me your opinion on what's going on with adequacy determinations in the EU and how this may change the current U.S. landscape, specifically, you know, for this show about tech companies or other businesses in California that might be affected by this definition? Well, sure. Let's back up. The EU adequacy determinations, basically, the EU requires that any companies that are dealing with EU citizens have adequate protection or safeguards. And as I mentioned, we're starting to see this evolve and go in different directions. Um, with regards to checking and making sure that your company is compliant, um, we have in California, for example, they are taking advantage of the fact that general data protection um, provisions, general data protection regulation is coming. And that is the, this is a U.S. state that could actually take advantage and have its own uh, relationship with the European Commission. And right now what we have in place is the EU-U.S. Privacy Shield Framework, which came into place when the safe harbor was invalidated in 2015. We know that this has been somewhat of an issue, and we're not really sure, you know, if that will remain in place, that privacy shield. There has been some concern that it may be um, at some point taken away. And if California actually has its own model, and it is approved by the European Commission, if for some reason the other one goes away, anyone working in California, any one of these companies would actually have a safer and more secure route than we currently have. So it's something that you have to look at and you could say, well, maybe this is something we want to invest in. Maybe this is something in order, you know, the, the, Cal the state of California, if they qualify with the European Commission to do something like this, to show that they have an adequate level of protection, this is something that uh, might be worthwhile. So what's California going to need to do in that situation? 
what does it need to do in order to qualify for adequacy? Yeah. Well, there's no there's no real list, but basically we they would need to enact a more comprehensive plan of data protection legislation and abandon the more sectoral approach to data protection. And California has been very proactive in enacting um, new legislation and, you know, currently has multiple state laws on the top on several topics ranging from health care, health data to identity theft uh, to unsolicited uh, commercial communications. But they would need to take it a little bit further and identify a or create a data protection authority that would actually work with EU and EU residents that are seeking to enforce their rights in California under GDPR. These are some steps that, you know, we are seeing California take. Uh, in February 2018, they, they tried to create a, um, a structure for this, and we're seeing a lot of movement in this role, in this way, uh, with regards to California, but it's, it's not there yet. Is this something that the United States government could stand in the way of? I mean, can they can they can they stand in the way of all of this happening in California? Well, they they could. The federal government, you know, could hold that this is unconstitutional, and you know that the state should not be doing this. They could also preempt it, and you know we do see the federal government preempting state law, and particularly in an area like this, it could be found to be unconstitutional. What we'd like to see is maybe the federal government will take what California is doing it, was doing and, and using it as a model maybe. It could be used as a model for federal government. We're not really sure exactly how it's going to be looked at or whether it will work, but at least we see steps taken by California. They're being proactive in this way. And as I mentioned, this area is evolving quickly. And we're watching different pockets in different parts of the world and how they're dealing with it. In, in the UK right now, distress damages are coming up. Mental distress, um, in, with regards to that other case I was telling you about, they're looking at how basically a breach, and in that particular case, it was a rogue employee, right, that, that took the information of their, um, of, their, of their company and their employees and, and put it out there, and this was a no-fault breach. And they're looking at distress damages and and basically pay, making the company pay for that. Well, if you take a look at what happened with Facebook, that was a breach and it was a blameless breach. What's going to happen here? You know, all these things right now are evolving. And it's interesting because we might be able to take pieces from what's going on in other countries and say, wow, we want to apply this as well. Adriana, it was such a pleasure to have you on the show again, believe me. I mean, it's, you're just killing it all the way around. Congratulations to you, and I can't wait to, to have you back again. Thanks, George. Thanks for having me. So thanks so much. We've, we've run out of time, folks. But before I go, I want to remind our listeners to visit the Cybersecurity Hub to read a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news at www.cshub.com. That's the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Stay frosty out there. Thank you for tuning in this week to Task Force 7 Radio. To learn more about Task Force 7 Radio, 
please visit our website at taskforce7radio.com. Be sure to join your host, George Reedus, again next Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel.